We turn to God's word this evening to the, gospel, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. The epistle of Paul to the Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. The text this evening is the first part of verse 1. The first sentence and exhortation. Tonight let's read the whole chapter. Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, 
from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. <clears throat> we read that far in God's holy word. The text is Philippians 3, verse 1a. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you rejoice? Do you have gladness in your heart? Do you have a joyful spirit? That is something we can improve on. That is something that as a church and as individuals, we ought to have and more of a joy, a true Christian joy. God's word calls us simply and explicitly in this text, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This joy is an integral aspect of worship. It is part of praising God's name. While there are varying degrees of joy in the Christian's life, we're supposed to come to God's house to sing, to praise, to bring thanksgiving, and all that involves joy. In order to worship God sincerely, there must be joy in our hearts. Psalm 98, verse 4, what we just sang, a versification of, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. As we give of our offerings, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, the joyfulness as we give. And joy, of course, is part of every aspect of worship. Prayer, as we saw this morning, is supposed to be the chief part of thanks to God. And with that thanksgiving, there is to be the joy in our hearts. Not only our formal worship, but all our life is supposed to be filled with joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice evermore. And then comes what we saw this morning, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, verse 4, just a few verses later on, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And although that Christian joy is not something that is always continuously going to be expressed outwardly, yet there will be expression of that joy. There will be the smiling of the face in the Christian life. There will be singing with that joy. There will be confession in joy. Our demeanor is supposed to reflect that joy. No, God's word is not talking about an artificial merriment, a lightness. That's a plague on society and the church today. 
In the church, as you know, there is worship claimed to be joyful, full of irreverent jokes and laughter. There is worship that is disorderly chaos of the charismatic style. There is worship that is claimed to be joyful because there is much fun, entertainment in worship. Such is not true joy. Such is irreverence. And it is as bad, perhaps worse, as a dead, joyless worship. God's Word is not talking about a flippant, immature life either. In society, as you know, there is an immaturity where nothing is taken seriously. Everything is a joke. And men and women, perhaps especially men, never grow up. That's not joy. That's immaturity. There is a fascination. There is a pursuit of fun and games. And many call that joy. Scripture is not talking about irreverence in worship. Scripture is not talking about an immaturity in life which needs to be taken seriously. But rather, Scripture calls us to a deep joy of heart in the Lord. This is not the first time that Paul has spoken of joy. I remind you that the whole book of Philippians has the theme of joy running through it. Through our series in this epistle so far, we have seen Paul expressing his own personal joy, and we have seen Paul talking about the joy that the Philippians have. But what has been implicit thus far throughout the epistle, Paul now makes explicit in this text. Rejoice in the Lord. The word translated finally can be translated as such, but ought not be translated as such here in this text. It can be also translated moreover, or furthermore. And thus being found not at the end of the epistle, but in the middle of the epistle, the word should be translated as such, furthermore. Paul is, with that word, transitioning to a new section in his epistle. Not coming to a close, but transitioning to a new section. And this new section includes sharp warnings against false doctrines and false teachers, whom he calls, as we read, dogs, and of the concision or of the mutilation. And before he proceeds with such sharp warnings to do battle, as it were, with the enemies of the gospel, Paul strikingly begins this section. My brethren, rejoice in the Lord. While fighting false teaching, while enduring persecution, Remember, Paul's in Rome. While facing sickness, disappointment, death, 
Paul is saying, don't forget, you still rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord, first, the joy in the Lord, second, the calling to rejoice, and finally, the benefits of that joy. Although our text is a calling, it is a command unto joy, we begin this evening in this first point to focus, to meditate on how joy is a gift. It's a privilege given to the believer. It's first of all a gift, and then having that gift, the Christian is called or commanded to rejoice. That's the first point. Joy is the gracious gift of God to the regenerated believer, which means that only, only regenerated believers have true joy. The Holy Spirit points this out in the text with the words, my brethren. That is an endearing term. It's how a pastor speaks to his congregation, not only beloved, but my brethren. But it's not only an endearing term, it's that which limits who can have joy. He is speaking not to everyone, he is speaking only to his brethren, my brethren. When he says, my brethren, or brothers and sisters, Paul is referring to the doctrine of adoption, which makes us brothers and sisters in the family of God. Christ Jesus, in Hebrews 2 verse 1, is said to be not ashamed to, be, to call us his brethren. Not ashamed to call us his brethren. He came into this earth, took upon himself our human flesh, and became our substitute. And with his payment of a perfect life, with his payment of his suffering and death on the cross, his payment was the payment for adoption. He did what was necessary to bring us into the fellowship and family of God. So that now, we not only have Jesus Christ as our brother, our older brother, not ashamed to call us his brothers, but united in the family of God, we together are brethren, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ as our older brother. Only my brethren, Paul says, can have this joy. Only those who have been adopted into the family of God have this joy. How do we receive this joy as members in this family? Our text shows us that this joy flows from our elder brother into us. Our elder brother is the source of that joy and as a source of that joy, he causes joy to flow into us, his brethren, through the bond of faith. A significant word of the text that we might not think is significant is the word in. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord there is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has not only died was buried but has risen again and has ascended to God's right hand, the person of Jesus Christ. This Jesus Christ is the source of joy. He has all joy. Hebrews 1 verse 9 says, 
that God hath anointed him with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Within Jesus Christ is perfect joy. Now he is the source of joy, the we can call him the wellspring of joy, the, the fountain of joy, the ocean depth of joy. From him, somehow, we get this joy. And that comes, there, here comes the word in, in Christ. We are joined. That's what the word in means. We are joined to be in, connected to Jesus Christ. In refers to union with Christ by the bond of faith. And having united us by the bond of faith to himself, then he causes there to flow from himself to us this joy. The familiar illustration that we know very well is that of a branch engrafted into the tree or the vine and flowing from the vine to the branches are all his gifts, including joy. Another illustration, children, is that of a faucet. Think of the faucet in your home or the faucet outside in the backyard connected to the back of the house. And from that faucet, the, the source of water, you join a hose to wherever you want that water to go. Christ Jesus is like that faucet, and he joins himself to us like a hose. We're connected to him very really, even though we cannot see any hose or such connection. But from that wellspring of joy, Jesus Christ himself, there flows to us, directly to us, his joy. That's why Galatians 5.22 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit as love first, and then secondly, joy. For the Spirit comes to us through that bond and works in us all sorts of fruits. Rejoice being united to the Lord. That's the idea of this text. An application. United to Christ, we have joy in Christ. He is the source. Let us not be envious of those who are not united to Jesus Christ. When we see them with a counterfeit joy. We look around us and we see the world. We see their dancing. We see their singing. We look, we look at their smiles, their laughs, their celebrations, their external veneer of happiness, their pleasant feelings that they have when they have money that fills their bank accounts, food that fills their bellies, drinks, or maybe we can call it, as Scripture calls it, spirits, not the Holy Spirit but spirits which intoxicate and make them look happy, music that tingles their ears, screens and games that stimulate their brains and bodies, lusts that appease them momentarily. The world looks happy. They present a happiness on the screen 
They shout at you and they say, look at our joy. And we as God's people say, often, too often, I want that joy. And so we go to the world for joy. We go to the pleasant things of this earth for joy. Pursuing happiness there. And if you have done that, as I have done that, as we have all tried to do that, we find out very quickly, don't we? The emptiness that is in things of themselves. There is no true joy. It's all an external, outward happiness that only lasts but for a little while. Shallow stimulants to distract us from the misery inside, the guilt of sin, fears, disappointments, and death which comes very quickly. But you, my brethren, but you need not be fools looking for the joy in other sources. You have the everlasting fount of joy in Jesus Christ. Look to him. It is folly to look at some other source. First Peter 1 verse 8 speaks of joy as this joy in Christ as joy unspeakable and full of glory. Far greater than anything that the world can offer. Defined, this is joy. Joy is the spirit wrought state of mind. The spirit wrought state of mind whereby the soul is uplifted by the glad tidings of the gospel. The spirit wrought state of mind whereby the soul is uplifted by the glad tidings of the gospel. Focus with me on that idea that joy is a state of mind. It is not, first of all, feelings, though it is partly feelings. Undoubtedly, joy includes feelings. That's undeniable. And yet, joy doesn't begin with feelings. It is first a state of mind. That's very clear from a passage, a significant passage, that the, young, the junior adults have studied in James 1, James 1, 2, and 3. James 1, 2, and 3 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. James, just as Paul here in Philippians, calls the church to rejoice, but he puts it this way, count it all joy. The word count is an activity, not of the feelings, but the word count is the activity of the mind. It means literally to think, to, to reckon, to consider it joy. When you fall into trials, now think about it. When we fall into trials, think of your specific trials in life. When you fall on trials, do your trials feel good? No. And yet James says, while you don't feel good in your trials, 
you can rejoice because you can reckon, you can consider your joy. Joy is, first of all, a state of mind which will come forth with the uplifting of the heart, involving feelings, and the glad tidings of the gospel. Being joined to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit flows from Christ to us and affects first our mind to consider our joy and then affects our feelings. But the mind must consider the gospel. Beloved, my brethren, The Spirit wrought joy in our hearts comes as a consideration of the gospel. The gospel which is called the glad tidings, the joyful news, the gospel. With that gospel, you can always have joy. Faith is not only that bond, but faith is the activity of the heart that draws, that clings to the gospel that comes from Jesus Christ. That is your joy. It's a privilege, but now it is also a calling, a command to look to Christ and rejoice in the gospel you have in him. Faith dwells on that gospel. Think about that gospel tonight, beloved. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in knowing your election in Christ the Lord. That God hath unconditionally chosen you in Christ before the foundations of the world. That you might be holy and without blame before him in love. He has predestinated you. And if he has chosen you, then your salvation is sure. You have the joy of knowing that you have not only been chosen by God, but Christ Jesus has come to demonstrate his love for you. And sacrificing himself for you. Obeying all God's commandments for you. With all his righteousness imputed to you. is yours before God. So that now you are perfect in the sight of God. This is the gospel that you rejoice in. All the punishment of hell that you deserve and I deserve for our sins. Are taken by him. When he went to that accursed cross. That is the gospel. You have the joy of knowing that you are justified, forgiven. Whenever you sin and look back to Christ, you can know with certainty that even that sin, that sin you cannot forget, that gross sin that you keep going back to, that sin is covered by Christ's blood. You have the joy of knowing that you are freed from the bondage of Satan. That even though you struggle with your sins every day and the besetting sins that you feel like you cannot get loose from, yet you have the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. 
and that spirit flows from Jesus Christ to help you in your battle against sin day by day, to repent again and again of your sins. He sanctifies you progressively. You can rejoice that as a sinner, though a weak sinner, he still uses you as a witness to others, that the church may be gathered through your witness as you hold forth the word of life. You have the joy of his providence, part of the gospel, that he has so, if he has so loved you and sent his son for you, then he, he must continue to do all things in your life for your good and never against you. You have the gospel that Jesus Christ preserves his church even if institutes crumble, even if the world crumbles all around you, he preserves the souls of you and your children who are in him. You have the joy, all summed up, of the unconditional covenant in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ, embraced by the friend divine who will not let you go and will bring you to himself and the full experience of covenant fellowship with him in, in glory one day, face to face. That gospel never changes. Rejoice in the Lord. Think also, my brethren, on how everything in our lives can be connected to this gospel. We're commanded with our minds to consider the gospel we have in Jesus Christ. But not just in church. Every day we can connect the dots, as it were, from every situation in life to the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. We see that as what Paul does in the book of Philippians. Let's review a little bit. Turn back to Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I said that the theme of joy goes through the whole book of Philippians. See that with me and see how Paul connects the gospel with everything that he's writing about when he speaks of joy. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests, requests with joy. And then he explains that joy. Why does he have joy in the Philippians? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Paul's not rejoicing that he has really nice people in the church of Philippi as his friends. He's rejoicing that he has those people joined to him with a love for the same gospel. Saved by the same gospel. That's why he rejoices. Not in people themselves, but the gospel that connects these people. Philippians 1.18. 
He speaks of joy there again. Verse 18 of chapter 1, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And you remember the context. Paul's rejoicing that the gospel is preached, even though the preachers who preached this gospel were enemies of Paul. They were envious of Paul. They were striving with Paul. They preached out of evil motivations. And Paul says, I still rejoice because they preached the gospel. I'm interested in the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel was the heart of why he rejoiced. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, or fill up my joy, he says to the Philippians, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There Paul is thinking about the Philippians being affected by the gospel. As they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, they begin to have the same mind of Christ. Paul's rejoicing that the gospel has affected them or will affect them as they live a humble life showing forth that gospel. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, holding forth the word of life, speaking of their witnessing, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Why is he rejoicing there? Because their sanctified life shows forth the gospel, the word of life, for the glory of God. And there are plenty more verses that display this, but Paul looks at life he looks at all of life with the light of the gospel shining upon it. And he's connecting every part of life to it. And there's so many applications. Why rejoice in your children, beloved? Because they're cute? Because they're healthy? Because they walk in the truth of the gospel, there's joy and it's sorrow when they don't, even if they're healthy. Why rejoice when you receive money? Not because you can spend it upon your own lusts, but because with, with the good gifts God has given me, I may seek the furtherance of the gospel. It's all about that. Why rejoice in a godly husband or wife if God gives that to you? So that you might be a picture of the gospel in your marriage, of Christ and his church. Why is there joy in anything, even in sorrows of life? Because you know God is working out these things for the furtherance of the gospel, the glorification of his name. True joy always connects the gospel to every part of life. And if we don't, and when we don't, connect the gospel to any facet of life,
this is what happens to that facet of life. Solomon of old. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. And vexation of spirit. By faith, you and I can always rejoice as our mind, worked within by the Spirit, sees the glorious gospel, the glad tidings. Rejoice always, Paul says explicitly in chapter 4, verse 4. But our text also implies that. It's in the present tense, be rejoicing. And that's striking because remember the circumstances Paul was in. He was in prison. He was facing death. He was not in comfortable circumstances. The Philippians were facing the disappointment of Epaphroditus being sick. They were facing persecution. They were facing false teachers. And yet, Paul says, as long as you still have Jesus Christ and the gospel, you still can continue to rejoice always. Habakkuk 3, verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Circumstances may change. But not only will my God never change, but the gospel also from Christ never changes my joy peace like a river attends my soul or billows waves billows roll whatever is my lot God has taught me to say with the gospel, it is well, it's well with my soul. And that brings us to something very mysterious. I cannot explain it fully. The child of God can be feeling the sorrows of life. And at the very same time, at the very same time as the soul suffers sorrow, because that's part of the Christian life too. At the very same time, there is joy. You've experienced that in the death of a loved one. To know that that loved one has departed is sorrow. And yet, there is joy in the hope we have. The gospel of Jesus Christ 
stabilizes our hearts so we do not sorrow as though we have no hope. Considered a certain sorrow and joy last week, the law exposes our sins and we cry with Paul with sorrow, real sorrow. Oh, wretched man that I am and at the same time, while I still sorrow for sin, I never stop sorrowing for sin. Thanks be to God. I thank my God through Jesus Christ who covers that sin. To the persecuted church, Peter speaks of sorrows and persecution, and yet at the same time joy. 1 Peter 1.6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then perhaps most strikingly, and applicable to us. Paul writes chapter 3, beginning a section on doctrinal error and controversy. And he says, in that context, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Many walk, he says in verse 18. We read verse 18, a grief of Paul. Many walk of whom I have told you before often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You can picture Paul writing this epistle and he is weeping as he warns them, the Philippian church of the enemies of the cross of Christ. He is weeping. Properly weeping because the cross of Christ was being attacked in Philippi. And through his tears, at the same time, he says, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Because no matter what, even if Errors and sins attack the church of Jesus Christ. Even when men try to twist the gospel, the gospel still never changes. Jesus Christ is still the same. And we may rejoice no matter what happens. Rejoice in the gospel, even if, even if things take place in this week at classes, which brings you grief, you can still rejoice in the gospel. Sorrow and joy are not mutually exclusive. You're called. It's an imperative. While you grieve, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. And yes, we're called to express that joy. The calling in this text is not only to souls who have joy in their hearts. Calling in this text is to members of the church who are both souls and bodies, which means that the souls and bodies will rejoice. They're called to. 
My brethren, he says, to real human souls and bodies, rejoice and rejoice in the Lord. Cease from the melancholy, the constant melancholy expressions, the gloomy, the angry, the stoic looks. No joy is not a constant smile on your face. It's not making life a joke. And there are unique expressions of joy from person to person, yes. But there will be expressions. There will be singing. There will be a confession of the joy of the gospel one to another. We will always say one to another. We ought to always say one to another as the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, we face trouble. We sorrow. And yet my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is still the same. I still belong to him. He still preserves me. His name will still be glorified. He still died for my sins. I'm still forgiven. I still have the gospel. No matter what happens, we say that one to another, my brethren. Paul speaks to individuals not only, but to a church. To a church in which the joy of the gospel is supposed to be contagious. One to another, we express that joy. My brethren. Stop. Walking past one another. As though you're not brethren. Cease. From allowing the pain to swallow up your joy. Don't let the disappointments of the past and even the conflict of the past blind you from the light of the gospel that you have with each other. It's the same precious gospel. Together, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. The context gives us many benefits. Three that start with us. First, joy soothes. It soothes or heals the hurt and disappointment. I get that from the context. The Philippian church faced many disappointments in the preceding context, the disappointment of Epaphroditus falling sick nigh unto death. In the context, the disappointment as we considered last week of not having Paul and Timothy come immediately. Disappointments abound. Joy soothes. It tempers. The disappointment. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart, that is a joyful heart, doth good like a medicine. Like a medicine. But a broken spirit drieth up the bones. As the people of God rejoice in the same gospel, there's a soothing, there's a healing that God intends to take place with that joy. Second, strength.
strength to hear difficult warnings. Paul, remember, is prefacing his warnings. Sharp warnings. With this exhortation, rejoice, my brethren. Watch out for the dogs, the circumcision. But before I say that, rejoice in the Lord. Thy joy helps God's people face up to these warnings. Take warnings to heart. It gives strength to face those difficult warnings and even rebukes. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And third, joy is for the shining forth of the gospel. The opposite of joy is what Paul talks about in chapter 2, 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. You remember that? Murmurings and disputings in the church are not shining forth the gospel. Complaining and disputings, gossips, unbrotherly debates, that makes us blend in with the dark world that murmurs and disputes one with another. But when there's joy in the church, instead of the murmurings and disputings, there is praying, singing, confessing with joy this precious gospel. And there's a witness that shines to the world. My brethren, always rejoice it's a privilege that you have joined to Jesus Christ. It's a spirit-wrought state of mind given to you. And it comes as a calling, a command. Rejoice always. And it's going to come again. Again, I say, Paul says, rejoice and because there's also the theme of family visitation this year, again, I will say, rejoice. Amen. Let's pray. Father, cause the joy of the gospel, our joy in the Lord, to be our strength. Cause there to flow from Christ Jesus, who is the source, the well of joy, unspeakable joy. Cause our minds to be constant, constant in our consideration and meditation of our relationship and fellowship with Thee, our God. And let that fruit of the Spirit fill us, soothe us, strengthen us, and shine forth out of us for the glory of thy name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.